Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark is brought to you by both HelloFresh and Euphemat. Help support this program and keep our digital campfire burning all night long by visiting HelloFresh.com forward slash told 30 where you, as one of my listeners, can enter promo code TOLD30 when signing up to get $30 off your first week. Euphemet is a podcast program about the unknown and our relationship to it, which you can find alongside this show on iTunes and at euphemet.com. Host Jim Perry, along with a group of curious radio producers, are in search of the other side, the thing under your bed, that signal of unknown origin and the true stories behind the strange phenomena that are outside the sphere of popular consciousness. Featuring radio diaries that recount astonishing first-hand experiences, Euphemet attempts to decipher the signal and to decode what it really could mean. As a special bonus, Jim will be joining me on the show after our first story tonight to discuss a culture, the esoteric and the enchanted, and tell us a bit more about Euphemet and why this program is the perfect addition to your weekly podcast lineup. Stay tuned, the show is about to begin. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in. Turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. 
Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9, I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing five stories for you about demonic doppelgangers, paranormal premonitions, not-so-imaginary friends, malevolent masquerades, and vanishing victims. You're listening to the Standard Edition of tonight's program, if you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. And thank you for your support. It's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn the lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us from author Marshall Banana. I give to you, Chuck Came Back Wrong. I pushed Chuck Parker into a well and stayed there, watching him, until he went down and didn't come up again. When I told his mother, she thanked me and gave me a hug. Did I know Chuck before this? Well, kind of, sort of. He was just part of the flock of neighborhood kids that hung out together. We weren't old enough to self-segregate, so everyone was sort of a friend to everybody. If I think real hard, I think I maybe uh, I can pick his face out of certain memories, here or there. I don't know if he's the one who yelled, Run! that day. Could have been anyone. My mind didn't bother to note the voice. I thought it was all part of some new game at Jungle City. At that age, we'd already decided that new buildings were a bore. When they rotted or got torn down, there was only a jumble of paper-thin drywall. When old buildings went, they created ruins. The Henley Gasworks left a crackling brick foundation overgrown with pokeberries and weed pecans. It was our Jungle City. There we played updated games of tag and hide-and-seek, ducking jungle beasts and witch doctors. We'd just come off a game of magic tag when the scream came. Did we all recognize the urgency in the voice, or did we write it off as another facet of the great game? Well, the voice told us to run. Don't ask, just go now. We went. Skipping and laughing, we ran from the building. No one noticed Chuck was left behind until we hit Graham Street and the beginnings of civilization again. Hadn't he been the one who yelled? But then why hadn't he been first out of the building? Michelle had seen him sitting on the edge of the hole, rotted through to the water-filled basement, but he got distracted by the tag game long before the scream. When we got to the war monument that guarded the entrance to our street, Chuck was already there. None of us were alarmed. It was only natural that Chuck had got there first. Perhaps he ducked out before us uh, without being seen. But gradually, as we talked to him, it began to dawn on us that something was wrong. The smell hit you first. The whole time Chuck was around, 
You would always smell this meaty, fruity odor rolling off him in waves. Our teacher had to open the windows of the classrooms on the days he actually bothered to show up. And it only got worse the longer he was around. Like whatever it was started putrefying. Chuck was all damp. He lounged in the lap of the monument like a king on a throne, smiling with confidence beyond his years. We greeted him, laughing about how he'd beat us there. Chuck didn't say anything to us that first afternoon, which probably would have tipped us off earlier on that something wasn't right. He just slid off the monument like he was rainwater and walked behind the group. We plugged our noses and joked about him falling in sewer water. We went our separate ways. Chuck tried to follow Kelly until we reminded him that he didn't live close to her. Ben volunteered to get him home. I think he was a little concerned about the way Chuck didn't appear to have a sense of direction. The next morning, my mom spent 20 minutes on the phone, and when she hung up, she told me we weren't allowed to go back to the gasworks building. Chuck had fallen into something bad, and it made him sick. I couldn't ever go back. Was that clear? I whined at first, but after weird things started happening, I was only too glad to stay away from that place. Maybe Chuck had fallen into something bad, but Chuck wasn't sick. Chuck wasn't Chuck. And we realized this over the course of the next few days. Phil was jumping off this ledge of the quarry with a few of the guys. We called it the Death Cliff, but it couldn't have been more than seven feet off the ground. Phil said Chuck was quiet like he'd been since the gas works until it came his turn to jump. Chuck walked to the edge and just looked down like he didn't know what to do. Phil yelled go. The others yelled go. Chuck stepped off the edge. Phil was a solid kid, always had your back in a fight. So when he said Chuck's knees went backwards when he landed, I believed him. Phil said it wasn't a regular hyperextension either. Chuck nearly bent in half the wrong way. Then, slowly, he stood up straight with a little smile on his face. The others climbed off the rock, asking if he needed to go to the hospital. Chuck said no, and they realized why he hadn't said anything before. His voice, when he spoke, sounded too thick and deep something trying to imitate a kid with adult vocal cords. Anne was kind of the class blabbermouth, so when she said she saw Chuck take a bite out of a dead kitten, I was less inclined to believe her. She said she'd been walking home on a street near our neighborhood and she saw Chuck crunching down by a furry little shape. She watched him poke it curiously. Then his head went down and she heard the crunch. Chuck came up, mouth slick with red, chewing like an iguana chomping on lettuce. She was too scared to cry. She said she couldn't tell if the body was just wiggling under the force of his assault or if the kitten was still alive when he started. When I met Chuck later that day, his breath smelled like death. I was a little kinder to Anne after that. I wasn't in the lunchroom when he spat in Kevin's milk, but plenty of other people were. 
They told me of how he waited till Kevin's back was turned and put his mouth over the curtain. They said it wasn't just a little stream of spit. An endless yellow drool fell from his mouth into the milk. He ended it just before Kevin turned around. He smiled and pushed Kevin's tray forward. Kevin took it and got away quickly from Chuck's smell. Someone, accidentally on purpose, ran into Kevin, splattering the suddenly thick milk everywhere. In addition to these events, there were all the little things we noticed day by day. How Chuck was always a little damp. How the smell evolved over time. How the whites of his eyes had a bluish tint. How his chin started sprouting these long, pale hairs. He was a brunette. How he moved strangely, nodding his head when no one had said anything. Reggie nudged me one day, pointing in silent terror to the back of Chuck's head. Chuck was talking to Ben, back to us. As he spoke, I watched the back of his head flex and bulge, like his jawbones extended behind his skull. It was almost two weeks after Chuck came back wrong that I ran into his mother. I was walking to the school bus, and I saw her parked at the end of the alley. She was a mess. She looked like she hadn't showered or slept since Chuck got back. She motioned for me to come over, so I got in the car. When she spoke, her voice was just dead. I had never before seen someone so deeply in despair they couldn't show emotion. Chuck's mom asked me how I was. I said fine. She asked how well I knew Chuck. I said well enough. Chuck's mom said that Chuck wasn't her son anymore. She just knew, and I probably knew too. Chuck didn't know things he should have known. He didn't ever eat what she cooked for him. I didn't tell her about the kitten. And he wouldn't bathe. She tried to put him in the shower, and he bit her. He'd left teeth in her skin when he did that. She found loose teeth all over the house, more than should have been in his mouth. She said she didn't know what to do. She wanted to know what had made him this way. I told her my best guess. I know what it sounds like now, a childhood flight of fancy. But she didn't laugh or berate me for making up stories. She gave me a limp hug and thanked me and told me to stay away from him until we could figure out what to do. She dropped me off at school because we'd been talking too long and I missed the bus. I didn't make it to class that morning either. As she drove away, I saw something at the far end of the baseball diamond. It looked like Chuck, and he had someone small by the hand. I thought a lot about what I did that day, why I didn't run and grab a teacher, call the cops, tell someone. I, it's because I knew, even then, that it would be too slow, and I knew whatever he was up to had to be stopped quick. I caught up with him way outside the school because I didn't want to attract too much attention. Michelle's little sister Tammy was holding Chuck's hand. She was clearly revolted by his smell, but he was promising her a lot of things as he led her away. His thick voice, like wasp honey, called for him to stop. Chuck turned around, weird. Parts of his body moved that shouldn't have. 
That yellow drool was leaking from his mouth and eyes. I have to wonder what he'd promised her to make her overlook his appearance. I asked what he was doing. Chuck laughed. Tammy was starting to breathe fast. I think it only hit her that something was wrong when someone else showed up. She started twisting her hand, but Chuck wouldn't let go. I asked if he was showing her something, because I wanted to see it. Chuck blinked. That goop in his eyes pulled into little threads. Told him to let go of Tammy and show me. He did. Tammy ran, sobbing. I told him to lead on. I knew he was leading us to the gasworks long before we turned onto the factory district. I don't know what made me think of the well. Maybe it was Chuck's mom mentioning he didn't like water. I told him we needed to stop at this cracked concrete circle. I had something I wanted to show him, too. He stopped, looking at me, oddly. The concrete had broken away, not big enough to call for expensive repairs, but big enough to fall in. I called him closer. Closer. The real Chuck would have known what the hole was. This Chuck bent down, and I pushed him in. He didn't fall right in. He was too big, caught on the edge. I had to stomp on his back to get him in there. He made too big of a splash. I watched through the crack. Chuck was screaming at me in a voice that didn't sound human anymore. He kept trying to climb up the sides and falling back down like an ant in a picture plant. It took forever to go under. I walked home after I was sure he was dead. I went to Chuck's house first. His mom gave me a hug, told me what to say when they questioned me. Chuck had tried to run away. I followed him to keep him safe. I lost him. Everyone accepted it. Chuck had been acting strangely. It wasn't outside the realms of possibility. Tammy never spoke up either. I think she realized how close she came to danger. Either that or she blocked it out. I wish I could block it out. The sight of Chuck clawing at the sides of the well, arms and legs rotating, as if every joint was a ball and socket. Not once have I ever regretted doing it, though. I still have to wonder whether Chuck is really dead in there, whether something had changed him or just replaced him. And it haunts me to wonder what the hell he told us to run from that first day at the gasworks. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Chuck Came Back Wrong by author Marshall Banana. The moral of the story is pretty clear. Don't do things you know you're sure to regret. Your actions might just come back to haunt you, literally. Up next, we've got a tale of paranormal prescience from Kevin Scarco Thomas, author of the award-winning Reddit no-sleep tale, Autopilot. But first, I'd like to welcome to the program Mr. Jim Perry, host of the Euphemet podcast. Hello, Jim. How are you today? I'm doing great, Otis. Uh, thanks for having me on the show today. I'm glad to be here. Happy to have you. Thanks for joining me today. It gets a bit uh, creepy in the studio all by myself. Every week. Now, before we talk about your program, Euphemet, would you mind telling my listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, my name's Jim Perry, like you said. I'm a creative director and producer, and I have been obsessed with anything under the bed, unknown signals, strange lights in the sky, for as long as I can remember. Thanks, Jim. Now, earlier on, I gave everyone an idea about what your show covers, but no one can explain it better than you. In your own words, what exactly is Euphemet? Euphemet is a podcast about the unknown and our relationship to it. We explore the most human-centric paranormal story, stories that exist. We go and we embed ourselves with these folks, and we really truly get to the human-centric perspective of how the paranormal really transforms and affects our lives. What makes Euphemet so special, Jim? What do you think makes it stand out? I think what makes Euphemet stand out is that we have a documentary style and format to our investigations. So uh, myself and the other producers actually go and, and really embed ourselves and, and live <laughs> with these folks and go on adventures with these folks that have these experiences and stories. So we try to get as close to the experience as possible and try to bring the listener in and, and really kind of be their eyes and ears uh, to really interpret and get the truest sense of the story as possible. What kind of topics do you explore? You know, we explore everything from the paranormal standards. That's the ghosts, the UFO sightings, you know, the haunted houses, the, 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 the cryptids, um, to, to, to things like mysticism, um, to holographic universe, uh, to, it, it kind of ranges, you know, anything that's strange, anything that's within the unknown or the fringe, um, even if they're not like sort of directly related to the paranormal, um, we're going to explore and we're going to dig into. For the benefit of my listeners who perhaps haven't heard of you before, could you tell me something about your most recent episode? What can we expect? In our most recent episode, myself and a producer traveled to Sedona, Arizona to meet up with the former UFO lawyer, Peter Gersten, who is now the Vortex Jumper. This is a guy who is playing a game inside of the game, and he invited us to hike up, or rather climb up, uh, Bell Rock in Sedona. And uh, so we did. We did. It was a part of us being able to interview him. The requirement was we had to climb up this 600-foot uh, red rock. Um, we explore 
a lot of different topics with him. Uh, synchronicity is very important in his life and in terms of his perspective about how the universe works and what his mission is. And this guy has a mission and it's, it's super fascinating and it's very immersive and, I, you know, you got to listen to it. That's great. Thanks, Jim. The show sounds like a lot of fun and unique. Before we let you go, can you let me know what listeners can expect from Euphemet in future episodes? What's coming up and where do you see the series headed? You know, we're very interested in finding stories that have not been told before and telling stories that have been told but in a very different way. And I think we can accomplish that by thinking about it in terms of those coffee table chats or those coffee shop chats where you're starting to talk about some sort of very convoluted, very esoteric subject matter. And you think to yourself, like, who are the people involved in this experience? You know, how did this affect their life? And I think that that's the kind of thing that you can expect from us. And also you're going to see us as, as like sort of hosts and producers, um, testing our own limits and figuring out things ourselves and trying not to get like completely spent out in this process. Uh, so I think that's what you can expect. Jim, thank you so much for joining us today to tell us about Euphemat. Thank you so much, Otis. Appreciate being on the show. Cheers. You can find Jim Perry and his program at euphemet.com on iTunes and via your podcast app of choice. So take a look, give a listen, and don't forget to subscribe and add the program to your weekly podcast lineup. You'll be glad you did. Now, without further ado, we've got some more terrifying tales for you, so let's get to it. Our second story this evening is by author Kevin Thomas, entitled Police Aware. Police Aware, the fluorescent yellow sticker said. The first time I saw one, I thought nothing of it. Neither would you. It was just an overturned car sticking out of the bushes at the side of the road. It was a silver people carrier that was popular amongst school runners. Practical, sensible, good mileage. Advertised by the flexibility of storage arrangements in the boot, rather than speeding around city streets at night with a stubbly young professional smirking at the wheel. You know the type. Still, a car is a car. A blown tire is a blown tire. No amount of baby on board signs will prevent a swerve and a flip if mom is too busy texting home to get there safely. Now, all that flexible storage space rested upside down and half buried in the bushes of the embankment. I'd only noticed it because it was a new route home. An accident somewhere deadlocked my normal route, and I didn't want to spend my evening in first gear, so I struck out on toward the back roads. I could still hear dear old Dad's voice in my ears. Maps are for cowards and women. Just make sure you know what side the sun is meant to be on. He, uh, met well. With the sun firmly in the right part of the sky, I started winding my way through the back lanes and country roads that snaked and slithered amongst the industrial estates between me and home. I stumbled across the big weight roads I'd heard so much about, from the trendy girl at work and a McDonald's with a 24-hour drive through 
unsurprisingly absent from my upper-class colleague's guide to local attractions. In the joy of finding my own little path, I hadn't noticed my speed creeping up, and a sharp corner took me by surprise. It was nothing a little heavy braking didn't sort out. Then I saw the car, half sticking out of the bushes opposite. The rear windscreen smashed in, police aware sticker, half peeled and flapping in the summer breeze. Mud and mess smeared across the silver paintwork. Must have been going faster than I was. As I said, I thought nothing of it, and neither would you. The next day, the traffic was clear. A few weeks later, after a long day to tail off a longer week, I found the urge to treat myself to a fancy ready meal and decided to see whether I could retrace the route to the big weight rows. I came to the same sharp bend in the road. A new car. Same accident, same spot, different car. This one was red, slimmer, faster looking. I'll admit my knowledge of cars is lacking at best, but I very much doubted that this one was sold on its safety rating. Stuck across the back was another fluorescent yellow police-aware sign. What are the odds? He must have been going too fast to miss the bend, I thought. Amazing myself at how readily I assigned fault, method and gender, to the driver based on nothing more than having a faster car than me. And without fail, there was dear old Dad in my ear again, describing my car's zero to sixty time as eventually... A few more weeks passed. By now we were firmly into autumn. A wet afternoon had brought down a thin blanket of leaves and the evening air had a distinct chill to it. I'd been kept at work late for reasons that are still fuzzy to me. I think there had been a meeting, or I was preparing for a meeting. I can't remember. But I remember the leaves, and I remember the chill. I remember the chill especially because I remember plunging ache in my jaws as it blew over my broken teeth. When I left work, it was dark. It must have been because I remember the way my headlights flashed against the yellow diversion sign that blocked my normal route home. Here is where I wish I could tell you in detail what happened, but I can't. I wish I could tell you more about the thing, the thing from the bushes, but I can't. My head injury smashed most of my memories along with my teeth. All I have are flashes left. Something on the hood of the car, the sound of screeching brakes, the smell of burning rubber, the gritty metallic crunchiness of a mouthful of blood and shattered teeth, the skipping CD playing the same three notes of a Foo Fighters track, the pounding throb in my ears as I held upside down by my seatbelt, Dear old dad's voice in my head again. Make sure you always wear a seatbelt. After all, what's the last thing that goes through someone's head in a car crash? That's right, son. The dashboard. But I do have one crystal clear memory. I remember the only good look I got at it. Hanging there, prone and limp, trying to figure out which way was up, as Diet Coke dripped on me from somewhere. I heard something crawl above me, or under me, around me. The scratching noise, like twigs scraping down broken pipes, seemed to come from all around me. 
I wrenched my head around to look out of the back window, and what I saw made me bellow an absurd laugh that sent flecks of frothy blood and tooth against the back seat. It was the same corner, same accident. And then I saw them, the long fingers, rough, almost bark-like, clutching around the edges of the broken rear window. They delicately tapped and grabbed and stroked, like a nervous pianist against the inside roof. As they slowly, surely gained purchase on the soft felt lining, they gripped and pulled. Then the scraggly, leafy hairs of the head of some unknown creature came into view. It pulled and nudged and advanced until I could see its whole face. Gaunt and drawn, his mouth fell impossibly low and revealed nothing but inky void. His eyes were empty black pits, his skin wrought with deep wrinkles that followed every curve of his elongated face. I was somehow reminded of old 3D puzzles I used to make with dear old Dad, where each layer was made of flat cardboard pieces stacked up to make a 3D shape. Now, having gained a firm grip on the back window, the thing thrust a barky hand towards my face. Mere inches out of reach, I tossed and wrenched to get away from the scratchy, earthy fingers that plied at my face and grabbed into the broken, bleeding mess of my teeth. At that moment, another car came around the corner. Its headlight seemed to bore through the creature's head, illuminating his eyes and mouth as though he were translucent. The beam seemed to drive a kind of ethereal scream from the creature, as though light passed through him like air over vocal cords. Then, with none of the slow, clutching trepidation with which he pulled towards me, he was gone. Somewhere in the distance, brakes squealed. Some faint, fading, heavenly voice. Good God, man! Jesus, can you hear me? You all right in there? I'm calling an ambulance. Just, just, hold on. And then sweet nothingness. In the hospital, they found nothing. Smears of dirt here or there. Nothing to lend credence to the idea of a leafy monster in the bushes. The car was a write-off, but I was insured. I replaced it with the brand new highest safety rating in its class, 4 by 4 Dear old dad, in my ear, you lose half the value just driving it off the lot. Shut up, dad. Months later, there was a blown gas pipe near my work, and I had to drive the same road back. Like clockwork, there was. Sticking out of the bushes, an Audi A3. I paid attention that time. So should you. Police aware. <laughs> No, they're not. Hey folks, if you're like me, you've got a busy life going on now. Between prepping and narrating and all the other things I need to get done for the weekly podcast, spending in a little extra time to make something to eat's a bit of a luxury. Well, now... That's one problem I don't have anymore, thanks to the good folks at HelloFresh. Each week, they provide a 20-minute meal on the classic menu plan 
for when you really don't have any more time than that. There are three types of plans that you can choose from also, so everybody can cover whatever they like. You can either go with the classic, the veggie, or the family plan. Rediscover the excitement of cooking. Enjoy not having to plan dinner, spending money on takeout for an easy night, or worrying about uh, gathering ingredients week after week. Now, for me, the best part was having the ingredients conveniently shipped to my house, all ready to go. I'm a grilled cheese fan, and HelloFresh, they have a, a Zatar-crusted grilling cheese meal that it's simply awesome. And again, simple and easy to make with instructions all laid out so that even I can figure it out. And that's something. It makes something that tastes great. HelloFresh believes cooking should be simple and convenient, not a chore. Now, believe me, this is so simple. If I can do it, anyone can. The ingredients are high quality, fresh, and just waiting to be put together for your enjoyment and satisfaction. Now, if you want a quality meal made at home without any hassles, I definitely encourage you to try HelloFresh. All the ingredients come pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipe. Uh, you get some picture cards that show you everything you need to do. It's simple. There's just no problem at all. And I really, again, encourage you to try HelloFresh. There are many benefits of subscribing also, so you can keep enjoying HelloFresh week after week. Get out of the recipe rut and start cooking outside of your comfort zone by discovering new delicious recipes in each week's box. And here's the best part. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit hellofresh.com forward slash told30 and enter T-O-L-D 30. Again, for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit hellofresh.com forward slash told30 and enter told30. You'll be happy you did. Thanks, HelloFresh. Our third story tonight is by author Hagen Lloyd. I present to you Constance. Growing up, I wasn't exactly the most normal of children. In school, the other kids would pick on me because I believed in ghosts and aliens and other supernatural phenomena. I've since become more of an open-minded speculator... But when I was six years old, I believed just about anything the person told me. When I turned nine, my family moved me away from my home in Florida to a cozy coastal town in Maine. The previous owners had used it as a bed and breakfast, but my mother had conjured up this obsession for holding family reunions there, so we never rented out any of the extra nine or ten rooms. My bedroom was on the third floor, and it was chosen by me specifically. I remember choosing it because the large walk-in closet space seemed like a perfect place to hide from the world. When we had finally moved into the new house, I remember my parents telling me about the history. They didn't know much about the house's history, but they did tell me that many people had died there. I know that sounds like an awful thing to tell a nine-year-old, but I couldn't have been giddier at the prospect of living in a haunted house. After all, how amazing would it be to have ghosts for a friend? 
However, for the first three weeks in the new house, not a single supernatural event occurred. No open doors, no moving objects. Hell, none of the floorboards even creaked. I remember going to bed one night feeling so completely disappointed in the old house. And then I watched in amazement as my closet light flickered to life and illuminated the cracks below the doors. Ecstatic at having finally found some kind of spirit in the house, I leapt from my bed, ran to the closet, and flung open the doors. But there wasn't anybody there. I decided to keep the experience to myself, as it didn't seem like much to talk about. For the next few nights, this same event would reoccur. The light would go on, I would run to the closet, and nobody would be there. I would often sit in my room and try to coax the spirit out of hiding, as well as leaving out toys for it to play with. But my endeavors were never answered with success. However, one night, the closet light flickered on as per usual, but I decided to ignore it. If the ghost simply wanted to tease me, so be it. But I wasn't going to let it have all the fun and not even bother to play with me. I continued to lie in my bed for about five minutes before I heard my closet door slowly creak open. Deeply excited, I wanted to leap from my bed and fling myself at the spirit, but instead I pretended to fall asleep. As the sound of soft footsteps made their way up to the head of the bed, I quickly closed my eyes in order to continue the ruse of being asleep. Kept my eyes closed as the spirit leaned over to my face, and I felt its soft breath on my forehead. And then it spoke. Would you like to play with me? I slowly opened my eyes and took a look at the entity staring back at me. She was a girl, maybe twelve or thirteen, and she had long brown hair and a posh nightgown that was made up of ruffled pleats along the chest. It was dark, and she didn't seem to glow like a lot of ghosts are supposed to. I smiled at her and agreed to play with her. Every night after that, the little girl would visit me and we would play. She eventually told me that her name was Constance and that she had lived in the house for a very long time. She only came out at night and she never wanted to play during the daytime. She told me that the light had made her eyes hurt. From what I could see of her in the blue-tinted darkness, she was very pretty. I could never truly make out exactly her face, how it looked as it was always shrouded in semi-darkness. Constance and I would play every night. We'd build castles with my building blocks. We'd play with my train sets, and on rare occasions, we made a fort by draping my blanket over both the chair and the foot of my bed. Constance would occasionally request that we draw together, but that wouldn't ever last long because it was always too dark to draw. As the weeks went by, my vision began to get a little better in the darkness, and so we started drawing and coloring together as well. But with my better vision, my impression of Constance was somewhat changed. Constance didn't look that much different. She was still very pretty, but something about her looked a bit off. 
Her eyes seemed to look like ovals from certain angles, and they would jut out from her head like they were about to fall out. It was something you wouldn't notice unless you were looking for it, but it still bothered me. Not only that, but her cheekbones seemed unnaturally pink, as if she was some kind of ancient porcelain doll. Her lips were thin at the edges and slightly puckered at the center, and her uncannily white teeth jutted ever so slightly out of her mouth. The more I think about it now, she looked like something that was trying very, very hard to look like it was human. As weeks went by, her appearance wasn't the only thing that seemed a bit off about Constance. Eventually, she grew bored of the games we were playing and began to make up new things for us to do. Most of her games seemed like they were only intended to get me into trouble, such as stealing my mother's purse and sneaking nails onto the staircase. But the one game I always refused to play was what Constance called the help game. In the help game, Constance explained that she would turn off all the lights, meaning the nightlight by my bed and closing the curtains, which would send the whole room into nothing but black. Constance would then try to find me while I had to scream for my parents to come and help me, all the while avoiding Constance. I never ever wanted to play that game with her, especially since my parents' bedroom was two floors down, which made the game completely unfair. Constance would frown and offer to help me build another castle out of blocks. I remember one night when I awoke in absolute darkness. My nightlight had somehow shut off and the curtains were drawn. I fumbled for the bedside lamp, hoping to turn it on, but I couldn't find it. The lamp was gone. Then, from in the darkness, I heard her voice giggling. Would you like to play with me? I screamed louder than I had ever screamed before in my life. I leapt from the bed, flinging myself all around the room as I searched for the door. I wish I could forget the loud, thundering sounds of furniture flying across the room as Constance searched for me in the dark. I screamed and shrieked for my parents to come save me from the hell I was experiencing, and I could hear Constance as her laugh grew louder and louder. Eventually, my parents made their way to my room and switched on the lights. I flew into my mother's arms as my parents gasped in horror at what they saw. With my arms still wrapped around my mother's neck, I turned to see my room in shambles. Every single piece of furniture had been either rearranged in some way or destroyed altogether. I never saw that room again. I finally told my parents everything about Constance, and at the time... They simply told me that she was never going to hurt me again. Being so scared and so young, that was all I needed to know. We soon moved away from Maine and back to the same neighborhood back in Florida. Years later, the memory of Constance came flooding back to me when I was cleaning up my mementos from the garage, and I happened across my old building blocks. I remembered Constance in the same way one remembers anything, hazy and doubtful didn't think much of her because I knew how imaginative I was back then. However, I did decide to Google that old house we moved into for all of two months. Apparently, there's a rare novel called The Malarty Mystery 
which is a non-fiction book that's made up of several documents and diary entries made by people who lived in the house during the 19th century. It's a fairly uncommon novel that's only available on certain websites. Out of curiosity and a determination to solve this mystery, I ordered a copy. The book itself revealed a lot. Apparently, the house was built by hand by members of the Millardi family in the late 18th century, and it remained in the family until around the 1860s. At that time, a husband and wife by the name of the clan and Harriet Millardi were living in the house along with several members of their families. In 1843, the first and only child, Constance Millardi, was born. However, a mere 12 years later, in 1855, Constance died of an unknown disease which is now speculated to be leukemia. Her father, Declan, fell into a horrible despair at the loss of his only child. Records show that he locked himself in his daughter's old bedroom, my bedroom, and only unlocked the door in order to receive mails. Declan's diary entries became a bit strange in 1862 when he claimed that his daughter was visiting him late at night and playing games with him. He goes on for pages upon pages about how happy he was to be reunited with his sweet Constance. The others in the family express worry for him, as they can all hear him talking to her in the midst of the night. However, in early 1863, the clan Malardi's attitude toward the spirit of his daughter begins to change. He expresses how different the old Constance and this new Constance seemed to look. He goes over everything I remember, her eyes, her cheekbones, her lips. He laments that he often doubts if the entity he speaks to really is Constance. Not only this, but he also talks about how different his daughter seems. Where in life she was cheerful and bubbly, this new Constance seems mild and monotonous. He goes on and on about all of the things she says to him, and the games she wants him to play. The diary entries of all the house residents stop abruptly in late October of 1863, and the final chapter details a report from one of the housemaids who had ended her shift and was heading back to the servant's guest house. The maid says that once her shift had ended, she politely said goodnight to the lady of the house, took off her apron, and was heading for the back exit. She explains that as she was turning the doorknob, every candle in the house just went out. She could hear the terrified screams for help from all of the house residents and the sounds of furniture being thrown about. Against the housemaid's Christian nature, she quickly left the house and rushed down the street to the local police department. When the police arrived at the house, they discovered the entire building interior to be in ruins. Furniture had been thrown around and broken, and the house itself was in shambles, but the household inhabitants were never found. It's been a year since I've read the Millardi mystery, and I still don't understand, nor do I think I ever want to. Whatever happened to the people who lived in that house? Was it something that Constance had done? If my parents had been mere seconds later when they rushed into my room that night when I was nine, what would have happened to me? And the most important question of all, 
Who's Constance? Was she really just the harmless ghost of a little girl? Or was she something else entirely? All I can ever think about now is her face, those bulging, inhuman eyes, those unrealistic pink cheeks, that strange mouth. All I can think about was how perfectly natural she looked and how terrifyingly unnatural she looked at the same time. What was she? Does she still live in that house, waiting for her next playmate? Thanks again to today's sponsors, HelloFresh and Euphemit, for their support of this show, and to host Jim Perry for joining us on the program. Don't forget, as a listener, you can receive $30 off your first week with HelloFresh. Just visit HelloFresh.com forward slash TOLD30 and enter promo code TOLD30 to let them know that Otis sent you. And if after today's terrifying tales you've still got a taste for the mysterious and paranormal, head on over to Euphemet.com or search for Euphemet in your podcast app of choice. And subscribe today to get new weekly episodes from Jim and his team as they explore the unknown. You won't be disappointed. Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season, or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show, but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases, including premium versions of our other shows, such as the Simply Scary Podcast and Horror Hill. Not only that, but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Thank you very much for your support. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Programs artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. 
Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.